This is the Frogcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. To quote the late great Colonel Sanders, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. That is exactly what I felt like after the Frogs lose to Texas Tech in double overtime, 27-24, frustrating loss, Things a uh, game that we gave away that we had no reason to lose. But in the middle of that frustration, in the middle of that terrible special teams play, we did see some uh, positive signs. We did see some rays of hope. We're going to talk about that. We're going to dig into Tech. We're going to dig into the quarterback situation. We're going to laugh at Baylor. That and a whole lot more on this week's episode of the Frogcast. Well, guys, I got to tell you, I know that Baylor is supposedly our rival, and we always want to run up the score on Texas, but I can't think of a fan base as kind of a a gathering of human beings in terms of uh, study of anthropology that I can't stand more than the Red Raiders at Texas Tech. I cannot stand losing to them. I know we had the tortilla tip last year. I know we put up 82 on them the year before. But knowing that Texas Tech has a 3-2 lead on us since we joined the Big 12 does not sit well with me. I don't even know where to begin. I know you both you guys were there. Trey, what was so frustrating about this game yesterday where you see us give away a game? Oh, We just, we just handed them this game over and over from, from the beginning of the game all the way into the second overtime. How frustrating is it to see this result? You know, it's pretty frustrating, but it's probably not as frustrating as Patrick Mahomes feels today after waking up and finding out that his dad got arrested at the game. That's pretty frustrating, I would think. Um, but <laughs> which, when I saw that, man, I not to make jokes about it. I mean, I had to, but at the same time, that's pretty sad. And obviously, that kid's complete opposite of his dad and is going to go on to do, you know, big things and bright things in his future. But, man, that has to be embarrassing to uh, see. But it's a frustrating game to uh, – um, you know, watch for numerous reasons. One, obviously TCU lost. And like you said, I always hate losing the tech. It's one of those teams, you know, if I probably have to have to rank them, just, um, <clears throat> talking out loud here, I hate losing. If I had to rank them to Baylor tech and Texas, those are my three that I just don't like losing to mainly because I hate those schools and I have a lot of friends that have went to those schools. So now I have to listen to them, you know, have scoreboard for a year when they do win the game. So that's frustrating. Um, it's frustrating to see a defensive effort like that from the frogs, you know, holding a pretty high powered offense, like the tech offense to such a low point out output. Um, you know, especially since the defense have been so sketchy and so bad in the, you know, previous games this season, it was nice to see them come back and put up a great effort and have that effort kind of wasted because the offense couldn't ever get anything rolling. It's frustrating to see uh, the field goal kicking situation that's going on right now. Man, do we miss Oberchrome so bad right now? Um, and, you know, it's also frustrating to see, you know, pretty much, you know, 
we got Turpin back and we can get into more of that, but your biggest pretty much offensive playmaker in Hicks, you know, get injured, try to come back, not come back, you know, again, that's, that's frustrating to see because he's such a talented player. And obviously, like I said, one of the best players on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it was just frustrating all around and, you know, being there, you know, the crowd wasn't that great. I thought we would maybe see some fall off later in the year against Oklahoma state or something like that. But tech is one of those teams that TCU fans seem to, you know, care about, get up for. There was a lot of tech fans there, you know, after halftime, there was times where tech fans were honestly a lot louder than TCU fans. And so there was a lot of frustrating things about that game. Um, but obviously the most frustrating being that, yeah, we lost to tech and that sucks. It does. It does suck to lose to tech. It's discouraging. I get, I guess as a fan, I mean, just hearing that, you know, the tech is louder than us in the second half, the hearing that, that nobody really came back after halftime that that's discouraging to hear. I mean, I get that for Kansas. I get that even for, you know, one of the Dakota States, but this is tech. I hate tech. We, we hate tech. We've hated tech forever. And uh, to see that our fans just kind of mail it in when our, when our team really needed it the most, that is disappointing on top of all of the X's and O's and the players and the personnel that you mentioned, Daniel, what was frustrating for you watching the frogs uh, hand this game away to tech yesterday? Uh, well, pretty much uh, all the same reasons um, Trey mentioned. Uh, this, as far as the crowd, I don't think it was too bad to start the game. I was actually kind of surprised considering um, uh, out in the sun, it was really hot. Uh, it's, you know, there's going to be Halloween parties. Uh, they've already lost three games, and we were probably, I was expecting personally a kind of a wild scoring game turned out to be the opposite. Um, but the offense, well, it's funny because all uh, season long so far, it's been defense and everyone's, you know, bitching about that and fired Dan Sharp and, uh, you know, fire everybody, do this, do that, because the defense was, you know, terrible. And now it's completely flipped. The defense did a great job. Uh and now the offense is just abysmal, and it's kind of – it got to the point where I wasn't that frustrated. I was just kind of like, what – confused. Like, what, what's going on here? Why? How come nothing is working? Uh, so they, they finally pulled Kenny Hill out, and uh, even that didn't work. Uh, so that was something people have been calling for for a long time, and we finally got it, and nothing happened. Well, a little bit happened, but – it wasn't a, a big turnaround that we were expecting, and it was just uh, not fun. You know, it's just watching it just kind of be pissed away. And I, I guess really though, uh, the very most frustrating part was just being around Tech fans. I, I will agree with that. <laughs> Anytime you have to be around a Tech fan, it's it's pretty damn frustrating. Yeah. You know, it was it was difficult to watch this game on TV, and I just felt the inevitability of us handing the game away when we were unable to finish out drives, when we're sputtering in the end zone or in the red zone, when you know that special teams are such a question. You know, a couple of things that kind of just were were depressing was we have no ability to stretch the field. We do not seem to come back over and over 
to what seems to be working. So if we're running the ball, like we did that very, we, we took that first drive 99 yards and ran the ball down their throat. And I was like, yes, this is great. And then we just kind of gave up the run. That was so, that was so frustrating. So not only are we not running it and not only are we not throwing it down the field, which we, I don't, I don't think we have the personnel at quarterback or wide receiver to be able to do. And then we have the drops. Then we have terrible out routes. Then we're throwing weird bubble screens on third and one. I, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but play calling and adjusting to the personnel that we have hasn't really happened this season. And that's that's the part you just kind of want to throw up your hands. And you know that these people like come come to you and Meacham did not forget how to run an offense in the offseason. But it's difficult to watch us sputter out there knowing the talent that we do have and the the minds that offensive minds that they have in order to make that happen. It hasn't it hasn't gelled and that's difficult. That's what I don't get is some of the play calling is like you said, I know that Cumbie and Meacham didn't lose their, you know, coaching knowledge or ability to call, you know, an offensive game. And so it's weird that as a person that's never coached football in their life can see that, okay, I can see how, you know, the previous two years when you have Dotson, Boykin, Green, and the fade pass is a nice, um, you know, part of your offense when you have a receiver like Dotson who's tall, can jump, and can go up and get the ball. Whereas on this team, there's not that receiver. And so it's like, you know, third and three, and they call a fade, or it's not the first time this year where they've been in the red zone and they need, you know, a handful of yards and they throw a fade pass. And it's so frustrating to see that it's, it really like takes you back to the Schultz era with the short side option. It's like, you know, that play is not working. So why are, why is that still like a big part of the offense? And it seems like the fade is something that they're still trying to incorporate in this offense. When you don't have that receiver that can go up and, and get that ball. I mean, the touchdown from Sawyer to, uh, Des White, you know, in overtime just happened to be like the most perfectly placed ball that could have been. And, you know, White made a hell of a catch on that play. And it's just, I don't understand why we're still, you know, rolling with that so much. And like you said, the running game was going well, even without Hicks and they abandoned that. And it's just, it's weird that the play calling has really, really been questionable on offense. Yeah. I'm going to steal a tweet here from our friend, Jeffrey Craig, who's at uh, rivals for purple menace that covers TCU. He tweeted this yesterday in the middle of the second half, right at the end of the first half, excuse me. He said there were 12 rushes on the very first drive. The one that went 99 yards. We got a touchdown off it. After that drive, we had eight rushes total for three points. And that was with two minutes left in the first half. So we're pounding the ball down their throat for 12 rushes and a touchdown. And we run the ball eight times the rest of the first half. That is, that is questionable. I'll just say that that is questionable play calling. And I know that Kyle Hicks got hurt. We know that, but dude, man, 
Give the ball to Shea He looked great yesterday. I was so impressed with his ability to run the ball. And we, we, we kind of just never gave, had, had an opportunity to do that. And we never got a, a, a hill out there to run the ball. I never thought like we were able to take advantage of his legs. So, yeah, there's so many questions thrown around this. And I know that when we're frustrated that we want to question everything. And I know we also are, you know, a couple of plays away from being, you know, five and one, or excuse me, seven and one. But this is where we're at. We're four and four, and things haven't broken our way, and we got a lot of blame to go around and a lot of questions to ask. Well, any, well I want to switch gears here. I want to talk about some things that were working. There were there were some actual positive notes in this game, and, I, and it was strange because we all kind of agreed to that when we were putting the show together. There were some things that looked really good. Daniel, I just want to start with you. What, what did you see yesterday that in the middle of this game that we gave away that made you say, you know what, I feel positive about this going forward. I feel good about the direction of the program, even in the middle of that frustrating loss. I'm going to have to go with the defense, uh, and most specifically, I think, uh, and someone that I've been wanting to see really have a breakout game, and that's Matt Bozen. He, you know, he had a couple of sacks in a row, and um, he may have had another one outside of that. I don't know, but he was making uh, tackles, getting pressure, and uh, just you know something that we just needed to see uh the rest of the defense uh was, was doing well as uh, you know well because um uh, you know there was good coverage which allowed Bozen uh to get sacks uh when it when that happened to happen um uh, oh I was trying to think of a specific play but it kind of slipped my mind but uh anyway um Dahada looked good um Gladney looked good uh you know, it's just, it's gelling. It's coming together. It's finally starting to look like what I would have hoped it looked like by maybe game two or three or four. But, now that, you know, either way, it, it's here now, and it's probably only going to get better. So, thankfully, there's some bright spots um, going on with this kind of, well, <laughs> I don't want to call it a disaster of a season, but it, that's what it feels like. Yeah, it does feel that way. I know we don't want to use those kind of uh, derogatory phrases to sum up what could turn out to be an okay season, but yeah, that there there were there were some bright points in the middle of a very very frustrating season. The one thing I would highlight, and I got a lot more to say about this after Trey's done, the idea that we would hold Texas Tech to 17 points in 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 four quarters, that our defense that has been a sieve at half the time this year, to see them come together was great. You know, I like the way Tejada played. It was great to see Lewis out there. Sammy Douglas and Traven Howard are are the best linebacker combo that we have, and they looked really good. Traven was flying around. Sammy Douglas was dropping the hammer. I really liked seeing our uh, our defense play well yesterday. I thought I thought in in, in TCU uh, vernacular, they knew how to hunt together, and it was disappointing to see that that defensive production was not matched with an offense with a pulse. So. Even though we were frustrated with the offense, it was good to see that defense come together and hold Tech to 17 points in in four quarters. That is that is a heck heck of a game. And there's a heck of a game plan from Gary Patterson, and it was a heck of a game from the players. Trey, I know you said you saw a lot that gave you give you confidence for the for the future. What did you see, and who did you see that made you feel a little bit better in the middle of that loss? Yeah, well, I obviously agree with both y'all on the defensive side of the ball, just because. Going into this game, I honestly thought the winner, the winning score would be something like 55-50, 55-52, something like that. I, I expected it to be 
one of those games where it was high scoring. We were going to be there at the stadium for four, four and a half, five hours because it was just going to be a shootout. There was going to be so many timeouts and to see the defense come out and give up that type of performance um, was amazing. You mentioned Traven Howard, uh, 19 tackles. That's back-to-back games for him now with uh, double-digit tackles. So he seems to be coming on. And um, one thing that I, I like to see, which goes back to, you know, I thought it was going to be a high-scoring game just because our secondary has been so shaky. But there was, I think, you know, like two, three, maybe even four times there in the game where – it was actually like the TCU defense forced like a coverage sack because the coverage downfield was so good that Mahomes didn't have anywhere to go and they locked those receivers down, which actually gave the D line time to get sacks. And so you're right. It was a good game plan by Patterson. The defense actually executed and you know, I don't know if they're, I'm hoping that they're going to continue to build off this game, even though it's a loss, they can have some film to show, Hey, this is, you know, when you're in the right position and you make the right reads and y'all play as a team, you know, play as a unit on defense. These are the things that you could do because it is, it is an accomplishment to hold that tech defense to, um, like you said, 17 points in regulation. And so I think that is a big positive, um, And another thing that I liked um, is the fake punt. That was a a really... Yes, I was going to say that. Yes. (laughs) It was actually a really, like... I liked the the play design because... And I don't know if this was an an option, but to me it looked like they gave that punter option as he's running out that if he saw a lane, he could take off. But if that lane wasn't there, that he could have... Uh, still kick the ball and it was a great play great design you know tc rarely even runs those fake punts or you know trick type plays that you see in you know a lot of other games and i thought that was a, a really well designed fake punt and um you know the tcu did run the ball well i know tech's not known for their defense and they have a really poor defense but it was nice to see them run the ball and i would like to see that no matter you know who the quarterback is going to be going forward to incorporate the running game just you know more and more because it can do it does a lot of things for the team you know one it eats up time possession so you know, another high scoring offense because a lot of these big 12 offenses are high scoring that keeps them on the sideline. It's deflating to the defense when you can run the ball on them at will it, you know, by the time you get into the third and fourth quarter and you're, you know, pounding them all day with the run and you're picking up three, four yards of carry that's deflating for a defense. And, you know, it's just, there were some positives there it's just, I don't know. It's, I, you know, we keep waiting every week for them to improve from week to week. And we just really haven't seen that improvement. And hopefully maybe, you know, coming off a tough loss where there were some good things going into a game against Baylor, who's a rival that maybe, maybe we'll finally see an improvement from week to week. Well, that would be nice, man. I do think there were things to carry carry over from this game into the next, which we're going to get to in a second. But, you know, if Hicks isn't 
All I want to see out there is Travaris Johnson, who had his best game ever as a frog, as far as I'm concerned, and 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 Shea Wu. Those are the only two guys I want to see back there running. Michigan transfer Derek Green is just taking up space. We don't yeah, need the hand. He is, he's taking up space. He's not the, he's not the future. These four games, we need a battering ram. I want Johnson. I want Shea Wu in there. Let those guys get the rep. Johnson's earned it. He has developed as a player. I feel good about that. Good, you know. Thank you, Curtis Looper. And Shea is the future, so we might as well let him. Uh, uh, might as well go with Shea and, and let him run the ball. I did want to highlight because I jumped in there when you, when you mentioned the punt. You know, Nunez. That I swear, I'm not even joking. That's the first fake punt I remember in 22 years of being a TCU football fan. You know, I've, I've always heard that Patterson has never had a fake punt in the in the arsenal. So it was really nice to kind of see that happen. So <laughs> we will take it. Those are all good things to take into the Baylor game. We can't talk about who, what's going to happen in the Baylor game if we don't talk about who's going to play quarterback. The most popular guy on campus for a struggling football team is always the backup quarterback. We finally made the move late in the game to go to Foster Sawyer after Kenny Hill had struggled to put the ball where he needed to and in, in, in his inability to move the team. A lot of reasons around that. Trey, you've been as vocal in your frustration with Kenny Hill as anybody. Did you see anything out of Foster Sawyer that made you say, why has this guy been sitting on the bench for the last three or four weeks? He should have been out there the whole time. Okay, so I can't say that. And yes, you're right. I have been probably one of the biggest um, just against Kenny Hill people out there. Um, And... I was glad they went to Sawyer because it it was one Hill wasn't doing a whole lot. It was, you know, another fairly mediocre game, another interception from him. Um, and so it was good to see Foster Sawyer, not that he lit it up. And I'm going to say this, and I've said it before. I don't think either one of these quarterbacks are the answer. Just because I'm not a Kenny Hill fan means I'm a Foster Sawyer fan. Um, but I will say this, um, his pass to Des White in overtime was probably one of the best thrown fades or passes in general we've seen all season from a TCU quarterback. He put it right where it needed to be. Um, yeah, he was only 6 of 17, but um, his average yard for pass was 5.1 yards. Kenny Hills was only 5.5. And if you look at the QBR, Kenny Hill was at 48.6, whereas Foster Sawyer was at 47.3. So there were not huge differences in their numbers. Um, Sawyer had a touchdown, didn't have an interception, which you do want to see. Um, I will say this, though. Um, I I wish it wasn't Baylor this week, um, but I do think we deserve – I think Foster Sawyer deserves – the week to prepare as the starter to get the starting reps in practice. And I think he deserves to get the start. And if like this previous week, it's a quarter or two and we're not seeing anything from Foster Sawyer, then put Kenny Hill back in and let him go. Um, uh, And then I also want to say that I really hope next year that neither one of these guys are the quarterback. Uh, I hope they, 
I hope that they go with the best young guy that gives this team the chance. And you know what? If we have two back-to-back years where it's not what we're accustomed to, I'm almost want to say I'm fine with that just to get a good good uh, get a young guy the reps, get him the experience, let him take his knocks and start building towards the future. I think when you look at our past successes with Dalton, he started early on and he took, you know, a, a beating that he wasn't good at times. You look at Boykin, the way he started his quarterbacking career wasn't the best way. You know, he's sharing time with Paul Hall. Paul Hall's here. He's not here. You know, the, he's playing different positions. Um, and I think I, I really hope next year they they find a good young guy and I don't care I whoever of the young people it is you know go with them and let's start building from there and I uh I think it's I don't know I like I said I don't I don't care for Kenny Hill um I don't know if Sawyer's the answer but I think he should get this week to practice as a starter and be the starter for the Baylor game I essentially agree with all of that I basically agree with all of that. I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked to see Hill start, but I wouldn't be bothered at all if Sawyer was the starter and then they were ready to go with Hill at um if Hill if Sawyer wasn't able to do it. Daniel, which of these two puts us in the best position this Saturday to beat Baylor? Hill or Sawyer? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean I really don't. I mean, well, actually what I say is, you know, I thought um Either one, whoever it might be, you know, run the damn ball, and then you don't have too much to worry about. Um, I mean, of course, they could just stack the box and stuff it, but it's, it is Baylor's defense. So um, I don't know. I say I'm with, with Trey. I, I think that if you give Sawyer um, a week to prepare, um, a week to get ready mentally knowing that he's going to start – you know, you can practice and, you know, pretend to be ready in case you have to go into the game. But in the back of his head, you know, he's probably like, I most likely am not going to play. So it's kind of being thrown out there. And I feel like if he has a week to take it seriously and really get get his mindset and get some, you know, practice passing, try to get a little more accurate, I think he could do okay. And uh, if the receivers can just hang on to the ball – I think we'd have a, a pretty good chance, especially if the defense can do what it's been doing, uh, you know, so far. Here's what I think is tough because you've got two quarterbacks that aren't great, aren't terrible, but the problem is you've also got an offensive line that's not great. They've been probably you know, mediocre more than they've been good. And then you've got receivers that are dropping balls. And so it's just, it's frustrating to have all of those different problems. And even if, even if I don't, I mean, I don't know, even if you solve one, it's still like you have other problems. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, I guess those are three areas that you don't want to have 
problems like having problems in one of those areas is hard enough but when you have a shaky offensive line shaky receivers and inconsistent quarterback play that's just that's going to bury you every time yeah when you have a weak line and then a quarterback that doesn't always put it on the mark and then when he does a receiver that's more likely than not to drop it that's a pretty bad combination (laughs) yeah that's a pretty tough spot none of those things working together I, i think it all begins up front you know, if the offensive line is clicking, that gives confidence to everybody else for the running game, for the receivers to block, receivers to catch the ball. But, yeah, it's, it's, it is difficult that all of those things um, have a sense of inconsistency, none of them clicking at the same time. So, And sorry, you know, to go back to – Go ahead. I got to go back to Kenny Hill for one one more thing. And it's, it's frustrating. I tweeted it out, and, Jeff, you replied. It was – I want to say it was one of those third down plays where it was short yardage. And I want to say maybe it was the second quarter where Hill threw a long pass down the leap, uh, the the left sideline. And it was the play where Turpin was wide open in the middle of the field. And if Hill sees him, it's, it's six easy. And that's the one thing that seems to frustrate me with Hill a lot is there's no read progression with him. And I don't know if that's him or if the coordinators are saying, this is your first option. Take your three-step drop, five-step drop, whatever it is, and throw it to him. I don't know if they're telling him that or if that's just what he does. It's just like I, I'm I'm on the opposite end of the field you know, 30 rows up and everybody in my section is screaming because Turpin is wide open between the hashes. And he just, there's things like that, that he doesn't see. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, and I know, I mean, coming into this, this season, he, he hadn't played a lot. He had to take a year off. And it's like, he was in this offense for a year in practice. I would think his read progression would be better than that. I don't know. It, it's frustrating for me to watch Kenny Hill play quarterback. Yeah. I, I don't know where the, where the problem lies on that situation, but I know that, that I know that play exactly the play you're talking about because yeah, turban is wide open. I don't know if he is, if that play is called to like, it's a snap, it's a fade, no hesitation, no read, because if it, if that's the call, that's a terrible call. And if it's a progression, that's a terrible reading of the defense for a progression. So I don't know who to blame. And all season, I've kind of been blaming the coordinators and been a little more given the, the bias towards towards Hill and my belief in him. But I just feel frustrated with both of them right now because it's third and three and we're, and we're throwing a fade. It's third and two and we're throwing a bubble screen. I do not understand there our inability to line up and, and run the ball with, with the strong running backs that we have and throwing those fade. Hey, it's third and three. Let's throw a fade to the end zone. And when we do throw a fade, one of them you already mentioned, it was a ridiculous catch. But why are we throwing fades in the corner to Ty Slanina and Des White, who between the two of them couldn't stand on each other's shoulders and dunk a basketball? I have no clue why the two shortest receivers we've got out there were throwing fade routes to. That is, um, I meant I, I nine times I've used the word frustrating here. I've kept a little tally. Well, that is a lot of frustration in in just a moment. That moment you described, Trey, that kind of summarizes the season for me right there. Oh, man. Anything else we want to talk about from Tech before we move on? All right, a couple of things here. I, I posted on Twitter that we were running the show here tonight and wanted to see what anybody else uh, thought about the game and got some takes. And of all people, 
Corey Davidson tweeted into the Frogcast, which I don't know if you know this, but he, wow. I guess I guess he's a big uh, big fan. And his and my uh, I tweeted out. I said we record in about two hours. Reply with the hottest take from the TCU Tech game. We'll share the wildest. And he writes, "Hmm, probably no, uh, probably not too many kicker complaints here." I'm thinking. So <laughs> I got a sense of sarcasm from the snake. We'll take that. Nothing wrong with that. If you want to have us on the ticket anytime. We're more than willing to come on. So yeah, that'd be fun Cor- with me when he's yeah. not talking Oklahoma football. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. I guess uh, Greg the Hammer Williams won't be on there anytime soon. <laughs> I know it's a ten-year joke, but it, it doesn't die. <laughs> uh, a couple other things here I did want to read. Uh, this team is only a quarterback and a kicker in uh, a close game, luck away from being where last year's team was, which is actually not totally off base. Guy tweeting in with that. We are. If we get some kicks and get some things to go our way against Arkansas, against Oklahoma, and, um, you know, in in the game that we had yesterday, West Virginia, it's like the Oklahoma State game. They took it to us, and that's kind of what it is. Everything else is kind of a coin toss. And this is a question. We're not going to dive deep into this, but this is something that Frog fans need to get ready for if quarterback play continues as it is. Nick P. uh, writes in and says, does the current quarterback situation seal the deal for Sean Robinson to be the starter next year? Sean Robinson's an early enrollee from DeSoto. He's got he's got more Division One wide receivers than than um, than some uh, power or a gang of five schools have, and he's tearing it up. He's probably the best quarterback in the state of Texas, probably the best dual threat quarterback in the country, and he's enrolling this January. And he's he's going to make a push. That kid has got potential to to do things that Boykin did. So I'll be serious. I'll be curious to see where he's at. In that's year- what I'm hoping for, man. That's that I'm honestly hoping that they just he's good enough. We can roll with him next year. It might be a little rough. There might be some growing pains, but can't be worse than this. It can't. It can't be. Can it? I mean, I'd I guess rather- it can be, but I don't. Th- it it's. I too, I'm, I'm really, really hoping that happens. If we have solid line to protect him, so he's not getting eaten alive, and receivers that have matured, I would, I would, if if if, if the development is static or is or continues as is for Sawyer and Hill, I am all for playing Sean Robinson next year. That is my uninformed opinion. I'd be really curious to see what Sean Robinson could do with this offense. We will see. Well, guys, we gotta we're gonna move forward here into the the next section here. A lot of good stuff we had there on the tech game in the midst of the out, uh, terrible outcome. Let's talk about that dirty little butthole school ninety miles south of Fort Worth. Trey, you said you want to talk about Baylor, and we got plenty to talk about. We want to start with their uh, loss to Texas. Do you want to start with their Wall Street Journal article? Do you want to start with their regents who decided we're tired of getting badmouthed by Art Bryles? Do you want to start with the new book that Ken Starr has already written that will be out in the next couple of weeks? Excerpts I read this morning that were painful and pitiful to to kind of uh, read through. Where do you want to start in terms of uh, commenting on our uh, foe to the South that we play this Saturday? <laughs> Uh, There's so uh, much material. <laughs> this is like uh, Stephen Colbert in the midst of an election season. There's just so much to work with, right? Um, you know what's what's um, disappointing is on a weekend where Baylor and Boise State both lose two teams that I just don't really care for. 
It's unfortunate that uh, the Frogs didn't win because it would have made for really good sports weekends. Um, but as far as Baylor goes, I, I guess start with just the game. I can't express how happy I am that they lost because I just don't want them in that conversation for the playoff. I don't think that they deserve to be in that conversation. And there's not very many times in a season that I, I root for Texas to win a game, but I was so glad that they won that game. Um, and then <laughs> as far Texas as the wall, back. Texas yeah, they're back. Um, but there is, I, I mean, I wonder how that influences Charlie Strong's job security or if that affects it at all. Probably not because they want Tom Herman, but, uh, I do think that was an interesting win for them. But um, as far as the Wall Street Journal goes, it's just another log on that fire that I just don't understand. We now have even more information from the Board of Regents about Art Bryles, and it blows my mind that it just seems like – I mean, yes, they did have to fire their coach, and yes – can the stars gone and whatever else, but it just seems like nothing is going to happen to them. It just doesn't seem like the NCA. I mean, if a school's ever deserved whatever, if you want to give them the death penalty or some other version and, you know, not the death penalty, it's just, it's that school. And it's ridiculous that, this is all going on. Like I said, you got, you now have more information that of course came out on a Friday. And I, I know it was that wall street journal. So it wasn't like Baylor had a news dump or whatever, but it's still just funny that it, <laughs> the timing of all of that stuff always comes out on a Friday afternoon. Um, but it's let just me say this real quick. I'm sorry. Burn Orange nation that covers the, the longhorns. Like five minutes after that Hillary story broke that they were reopen, reopening the FBI file, he said, Baylor, now would be a good time to dump some news. And then like 30 minutes later, the Wall Street Journal article <laughs> came out. So it's laughed at that. It is, it's like clockwork. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just, like I was saying, it's just unbelievable that this stuff continues to come out. And I know he's not a guest coach with the Browns anymore or whatever that that these teams just continue to let him come into their practices and stuff. And like, I just do not understand. It's such a bad look for the NFL, for any team that lets him step foot anywhere near their football team. And it's just, it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable that this can, that this is still, that information is still continuing to come out about this. This could have been over months ago if they would have just came clean got rid of everybody and moved forward and it's just mind-blowing that this is how the whole situation has been handled ryle said he's the last one to know what's going on and all of his assistants handled that which of course raises the only question worth asking why are they still there well and you know that's bullshit because every football coach from the high school ranks up know what's going on with their team. They know 
every single thing. And if you want to tell me that they don't, I, I don't know what to tell you because that is their jobs. That's their livelihoods. They know every single thing that goes on with that team and to pretend like they don't, it's, it's, they're full of crap. There's only one head coach that doesn't have a clue what's going on. And that's the current head coach at Baylor, Jim Grope. He doesn't have a clue. That's... Everyone else, you're right, absolutely right. But he doesn't. He just stands around with his little headset on and wanting to go home. Those ca- those checks cash, though. I think that's kind of where he's at. It's a pretty easy gig. I'll give him that. Well, Daniel, I know that you're never short on um, Baylor opinions. You know, is, is, I don't even know what to say about this. I don't even know what to ask you about this. But in, in seeing the Wall Street Journal article that – that Browse broke down crying before the Regents when all of this was brought up to him. 19 different football players involved in some kind of Title IX investigation of sexual assault on campus. That's just, that is insane. That is insane. What, what, did, you, what did you think reading this that, that, that you thought, I couldn't even believe that this is true, and yet here it is that it's worse? You didn't think it would get any worse, but it has. Uh, actually, I think it probably still is worse, uh, you know, there's only so many that are reported, and I think I think it probably goes even deeper. But uh, it, it's yeah, I don't know. It came out, and at first I was like, "Oh snap!" But in like in a good way. But then I thought, "No, that's not good." But it kind of is good, and you just get mixed feelings because it sucks for all these people. And it's not that I want. Baylor just to go down just because, and in a way I do, but because of the way they're handling all this, I want it to just burn to the ground. It's it's heinous in most ways, and you know, and these these Baylor people. That's what I don't get the most is they they defend it uh, to no end. They claim the Wall Street Journal is just some crappy little tabloid that's full of junk, you know, and they just discredit it. In fact, I think. Um, that whatever that station is down in Waco, um, like right after that Wall Street Journal comes out, the the news station uh, came out with some kind of article specifically to debunk that article and went point by point to try and just dismantle it and disprove it. And it's just this bizarre cult-like thing going on with the denial, uh, the denial down there. And I, that's what I really fail to grasp is those people. Yeah, the denial there is so thick. It is. It goes to the core. It is a culture issue of of the university and of of, of the football program. And those two things kind of came together there. And it 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 was really ugly. I mean, like this is this is beyond ugly. So I and I think that nineteen football players are are in connected to this in one way or another is just uh, disgusting in a way that we can't even put good words and, to. So. And another thing we we kind of knew about. Um, I think it was Paula Levine or Levine, however you say it, um, had tweeted at somebody that she did know of one gang rape. And now it comes out that there was four. Four. And that's mind-blowing. That is. That is mind-blowing. Um, that is. Good God. I mean, uh, just a, a regular, you know, unfortunate uh, incident is bad enough. But that's, you know, that's an organized crime, basically. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, man. That's disgusting. That is absolutely disgusting. So, 
Well, in the face of all of that, we have to go to Waco on Saturday, which is never a good thing. And then we get to play Baylor. So I'm really curious. Let's let's get it back on the field here. Let's let's get it back on the things that we at least have a, some awareness of uh, our informed opinion on in terms of uh, what we're here to talk about for the most part. Trey, how do you think uh, Wake, how do you think Baylor's going to respond to that loss? My theory all season has been the first time they get beat, they're going to mail it in. And because their non-conference is slightly above a JV schedule, I knew that they were going to be able to coast to some early wins. How do you think Baylor is going to respond after getting beat by a bad Texas team and having to turn around and play a rival like TCU? So uh, I feel like every game somewhat similar with this Frogs team is I wouldn't be surprised if they wouldn't, if they won, wouldn't be surprised if they lost. The thing is with, with this game for me is is it's a rivalry game. And when you have rivalry games, you can throw a lot of things out the door. And I think that you'll see a very fired up TCU team. I think you'll see maybe one of the best games from them we've seen all year. Um, And I think that although I do think Baylor is – a better football team than TCU right now. I look at their schedule, like you said, and I see that, I mean, they have one good win. They beat Oklahoma state. Uh, and all the other ones are, you know, Northwestern state, SMU, Iowa state and Kansas. And so when I look at this and I'm not saying TCU has a lot of great wins on their resume either. I just see Baylor as a team that was not, deserving of their ranking and I mean I saw uh that um their quarterback or whatever took some pretty big hits against Tes uh Tesla against Texas and um I think he's going through uh, I think says uh, Seth Russell's going through the concussion protocol from something I saw earlier today um so I don't know if that's going to be a factor in in the game. I mean, I'm sure he'll probably play because they don't have any ethics anyway, so it doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> so that that could pl- possibly play a factor. But I don't know. I'm not prepared to say. I don't know. I don't know that if TC wins this game, but I think this game is going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think. And personally, I, I won't be shocked if TCU wins this game because, I mean, you can look at Texas-Oklahoma games over there. You can look at Michigan-Ohio State games over there. You can look at Florida State-Miami games over the year where they have had, you know, field goals missed at last minute, you know, multiple times. And I just think, like I said, rivalry games, you can throw things out the window. I think it's going to be a good game, and I think TCU is going to keep it close. I think not having a field goal kicker, um, it's tough though. Cause it could come down to a field goal. Yeah. Daniel, what's your, what's your expectation of what we're going to see from, uh, Baylor coming out this weekend? Well, I don't, it's tough because, uh, I don't know the extent of the Seth Russell thing. Um, I feel like they'll probably throw him out there no matter what, because they're desperate to, to, to win. And, you know, if he's okay, then, you know, they could, uh, you know, go for the jugular basically to try to get some revenge from last year. And, 
but if he's not healthy, then it's going to be a completely different game. I just hope the uh, Frog defense is ready to go. That's um, going to be tough, uh, but I think they're going to be much more prepared, hopefully, than uh, the offense. That's what I'm worried about is what is TCU going to be able to do offensively. Baylor doesn't have the best defense, but uh, this offense is what's killing itself. And so it's it's really hard for me to say, especially after the offensive performance from this week. Yeah, just getting on Google here, it says that Seth Russell was uh, negative. Uh, a CAT scan for a possible concussion was negative following the loss to Texas on Saturday night. He'll be monitored for concussion symptoms throughout the week. He did receive medicine for nausea and a headache, so take that for what it's worth. Nothing on the CAT scan. Clearly got some concussion symptoms that they needed to monitor, so uh, say this sarcasm. Hope the kid is okay, but um, no football game is worth getting your brains beat out for like that. He's had some serious, serious health issues, so hope the kid's okay. Um, I don't want to see him get hurt, but... I have a feeling the frogs are going to bring the wood. They're going to come right after him with everything they got, just like Oklahoma did last year. So be curious to see what they're able to do with him at quarterback. I don't know if he'll be a hundred percent. Hopefully we'll be able to run the ball. Hopefully we'll be able to move the ball. Uh, well, anything else from the, from the big 12 or from college football, we're going to wrap up here with our final four prediction because the college football playoff selection committee is about to meet and share theirs. Anything else on the college football landscape that you guys saw that we want to highlight here as we wrap up the show? Surprised West Virginia lost. Yeah, they uh, they got beat pretty pretty soundly by Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State looked good. Yeah, they so did. I was, I was a little shocked by I didn't watch any of the game. I just saw the score, but to uh, see Boise State lose of all people, Wyoming was pretty shocking to me. I don't know what went on. Like I said, I didn't see it, but when I saw the score, I was like, oh wow, didn't expect that. And uh, Ohio State barely getting out. Uh, with the win against Northwestern. Yeah. Yeah, but Wyoming's got uh, Craig Bowles, who had been the coach at North Dakota State, the FCS team that's won all these national titles in a row. And so he went there and had a really rough two years. And it looks like he's kind of turned the corner with them. I think they're 6-2, and 6-1, and one, something like that. Anytime you, yeah, anytime you beat Boise, it's a big deal. That's still a really good team. So, And on a, on a total tangent, you mentioned it earlier, if Charlie Strong gets fired, I would not be surprised if uh, Brian Harson, the head coach at Boise, gets a mention. He was an old MAC coordinator, and they might be able to push him around a little bit more, which, of course, is what Texas in the end ultimately wants is somebody to bow down to the boosters. I wouldn't be surprised if Harson gets a look, especially if, if Herman keeps losing to SMU. So. All right, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee is meeting uh, tomorrow, and we'll have their TV show on Tuesday. Jeff Long is done. He's no longer out there telling you why five teams should be in the top four from the SEC. Um, But we're going to see a painful truth. There's going to be no Big 12 team in the top four. We know that. There's not going to be a Big 12 team in the top ten. So we're going to do a little little, uh, game here as we wrap up the show, Trey. Four teams that you think are going to be in the top four in your order – for the college football playoff. I think we all kind of have a pretty good handle on who the undefeated teams are. Maybe you'll surprise us with somebody. Who's your top four? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be too surprising, but um, Alabama number one for me is clear. Um, I don't think anybody's on their level, but for me, my number two team is Clemson. Um, three is Washington and four 
is Michigan. So same top four as the polls currently just a little uh, different order for me. That's the exact same four I have. I won't even bore you with that. Me That's too. the exact same four I have. Is that who you got? Okay. Yeah. Be, yeah. It's Bama. And I think Washington's the only team that's going to give them a fight because they're the, they're willing to have a bar fight. I, I, I do like Chris Peterson teams. I do like, I did like Boise, even though we were kind of a rival with them. I like Chris Peterson. They, they have no problem trying to mud it up. I know they don't quite have the athletes, of course, that Alabama has, but Peterson knows how to win those games. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm pulling from Washington to get, get as far as they can. Hopefully they take on Bama. Yeah. I like Washington. And they've looked fantastic all year but this game against utah eh, just wasn't so hot they barely pulled away so um i was kind of starting to question maybe this that easy pack schedule they had was kind of uh helping them look good yeah the most pack 12 thing to happen would be that boise or that uh, excuse me washington would run the table to the conference title game and then they would uh, get beat by like a, a you know a nine and three uh, maybe like a nine and three Colorado. If Colorado won the South, that would be the most Big Twelve or the most Pac twelve thing to have happen. So, we did mention the Big Twelve does have a, a title game now going forward. It's going to be number one and number two starting in twenty seventeen. And let's just we're not going to talk about that because we just want to see the frog get in a spot where they can be able to compete in that, and we're not there yet. So, hopefully that will come together in twenty seventeen. Well, gentlemen, we have hit an hour exactly here on the on the numbers that are rolling in front of me on the screen. Needless to say, we had plenty to talk about. We've had a great show. Anything else you guys want to say as a parting word as we wrap up this episode of the Frogcast? If the Frogs can only win one game the rest of the year, I hope it's this week. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Amen. That's... I'm with you. I'm kind of that way, I, but I'd put it even up for the whole season. If you're only going to win one game a season, just beat Baylor. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will uh, I will be watching this game with a whole lot of anticipation. It won't have the same blood rivalry as last year where we wanted the revenge from the 2014 game. I am so curious to see what Baylor's going to do because everything inside of me says the minute they lose, they're done. Their staff is done. You know that they could care less. They're they're just there because they have to be. So, and they're all going to be fired, but you know, ten minutes after the last game of the season. So, I'll be really curious to see what happens. So, that'd be nice if they already have that attitude, just because they got beat by Texas, who sucks. And so it's kind of yeah. like we got nothing but to Texas play for. Is back too. So, well, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll probably know in the first quarter. So. Hopefully they're smart enough to come out and run the ball, run right at them. I think Baylor's defense is soft, and I think we can run the ball with them on them. So hopefully we do that. Well, everybody, I appreciate you listening to the Frogcast. If you stayed with us this long, we hope that you are subscribed to us on iTunes. Track us down on iTunes. Give us a rating. We would love for uh, for you guys to let everybody know that this is something worth listening to. You can always find us at thefrogcast.com as well as uh, killerfrogs.com. We're on the front page there. We're a proud member of the Killer Frogs family. That and um, all the other ways that you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter and social media, we'd love for you to let everybody know about the Frogcast. Well, for Daniel Southern, Trey Fallon, I am Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.